Yeah, it's a podcast. God, did you just get into radio? This is a podcast. This is a podcast. Radio. Seriously. Too bad I don't have one. Welcome to the KLOS 50 in Reverse podcast, our highly anticipated second episode as we spotlight the impact 95.5 KLOS has had on rock and roll, radio history, culture, and the community it has served for 50 years. I'm Rita Wild. I'm so happy to say that joining us again is... Here in the left speaker and right, Gary Moore. Gary Moore, afternoons 2 to 7 here on KLOS. Also, imaging wizard and all-around great guy, Stu Herrera. Hi. Good evening. Hi. I'm having a pistachio. Very good. Our uh, special guest for the second edition is Tommy Hadges, a former international media consultant with the Pollock Media Group. He was also the program director at 95 and a half KLOS for five of the most formative years of the station's history. I honestly believe the foundation that he built here is one of the main reasons KLOS has been able to celebrate its 50th anniversary this year. Woo-hoo. You without, are very sweet for saying that. Rita. Without uh, further ado, welcome Tommy Hedges. Tommy Thank Hedges, you. Thank you. I, I can't tell you how happy I am to participate in this uh, commemoration of the early days of the station. It's wonderful. So I'm g- glad you guys are doing it and only happy, too happy to be here. Yeah. This is now. This is so cool for me because we've we've talked before when you and Jeff were were helping out at the radio station before, and it's been a while. I just want to know how did you? When did you get here? How did you get this job? How does one in the days before the internet and was it? Did you meet somebody at the conventions or did they come to Boston? How did this all happen? Let's have it, Tommy. Okay, so uh, I was born and raised in Boston and did all of my radio up until the first 30 years of my life was centered in Boston. And I got this phone call from this guy that I didn't really know, Jeff Pollock, who was a consultant. He had been the program director of WMMR in Philly for a couple of years and had great success down there. So ABC, who owned... In those days, you could only own a few radio stations, Mm -hmm. and they had them in all the big major markets, and KLOS was one of them. Bill Summers was the uh, general manager. And uh, the station had sort of fallen onto some bad times in the ratings. Uh, It was 1980, and as I recall, KMET had a (laughs) 6.6. 12 12 plus. Oh, my God. 12 plus. Wow. KLOS had a 2.2. No way. There was one other station in town that was K-West, owned Mm -hmm. by Century Broadcasting. They had, I can't remember, it was just either right behind KLOS or maybe a high one or something like that. They were right in there. But KMET owned the market. So when Jeff called and said, hey, uh, how you doing? I I had moved from WBCN to WCOZ in Boston. He called me WCOZ where I I loved my job. I'd been there forever. You know how you get in the market? Like Rita's been there. You've been there. You don't need concert tickets. You just walk in, and they, they find <laughs> oh, really? a way to put you backstage. That's changed a little bit yeah, well, since well, then. Bit. But okay. I know it's, it's, you know, we're talking I'm 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, yeah. 40. Anyway, <laughs> who's counting when we're having fun? <laughs> right. It's uh, all 33 and a third. So I got the phone call to say, would you like to come out to L.A.? And I said, why would I move, Jeff? Are you crazy? No, of course I don't want to go to L.A. But thank you very much. <laughs> Hang up. So then about two months later, I got another phone call from Bill and... Jeff, who said, you got to come out and just just come out and see us and see what it's like. And, you know, because Jeff's from Southern California anyway. So I did. They flew me out and I came out and I fell in love with Los Angeles. And I remember flying into the basin and seeing they took me up to Mount Wilson 
uh, to see the transmitter. So when you stand on the top, three thousand watts. Wait, they didn't take you to like a strip bar. They took you to, they took you to Mount Wilson. Uh, <laughs> okay, go on. You know, I am such a freaking. Night. I am such a freaking tech nerd, and they knew it. Oh, wow. You know, I got, exci- was your strip bar. I, I, I got excited when we started playing CDs. I was like, wow, we have to have the first CD player in Los Angeles. Anyway, I'm getting off base here. So I, ca- I, I looked out, and you could just see, when yeah. you see the transmitter and you realize that it's a blowtorch of a signal, there's no reason why we couldn't have done better. We had done better in the past before. It had been very successful. But KMET dominated the market. So... I took the job. I said, yeah, let's do it. So I flew out. We came out. I had a fantastic team of people, some of which that I inherited. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, if you remember, B. Mitchell Reed was part of the okay. team. Right. Fraser sure. Smith, who had come from K-Rock. He had done mornings there. He was doing mornings. And even behind the scenes, Steve Gaspar was the promotions director. Right. The Even the sales team. Lee Larson was the... Uh, uh, GSM? GSM, general sales manager. Simon T. was the local sales manager. And we got along, which is weird. You don't normally have a good relationship between programming and sales, but they supported everything that we wanted to Mm do. Of course, we had Jeff and his team from Pollock Media Group uh, helping us out. Even the other program directors at the time. I mean, you look back at the people who were doing PD when I was here. Larry Berger was at WPLJ. Alan Burns, who's gone on to be an amazing consultant, was doing Washington. Um, who were the other guys? Oh, oh uh, Andy Bobian was down at KLOL mm-hmm. yeah. in, in Houston. Houston yeah. So, you know, some amazing people that I could also ask questions about. And Steve about. Gaspar was the guy, if I remember right, that came up with the rainbow. The yes. Were you so, there for the invention of that? For the well, he, here's the thing: is that the station was known for that rainbow logo, right? Okay, which is the on. It's still being used today. That's yes, amazing. You think about a logo that has lasted yeah. that long. Uh, yeah, you we can't buy it. that kind of been around from brand from recognition. So. <laughs> When you when you come right down to it, it's really a situation where the problem we had was that everybody knew the the rainbow, but nobody wanted to put KLOS as a bumper sticker on their car. Nobody was listening. The station. I remember when I came out here, we were playing Yvonne Element because the station had decided to not go against. If I can't have you, yes. If I can't have you, and I was like, this has got to be the epitome of what was wrong with the station because they were trying to be broader and get a more mass appeal audience. Oh yeah. When KMET was like a flame throwing rock, and KMET was the culture. Oh my god. KMET owned incredible talent. The the artists. I mean, you think of the people there: Mary Turner. Jim Ladd, uh, uh, Jeff Gonzer, early on, yeah. Jeff Gonser. early, early, early on, mm-hmm. and JJ Jackson. Exactly. So we were able to hire a group. Of, I knew that we had to get some really strong talent. So uh, Bob Coben was one of the first that we went after. He was at the time he was at WMET in Chicago, in Chicago. and uh, and of course he just blossomed. And uh, you know, we, you also hired him as the the assistant PD. He, he was the assistant PD there, and he came to be assistant yeah. PD here, too. Yes, exactly. Because you know, he, he'd had the experience. He knew what he was doing. Uh, you know? But not somebody who has really just touched all of our lives and is, you yeah. know, just such a, a mentor and a hero. So An amazing man. That, man. An amazing yeah. man. Yeah. You know, so and, you started and, getting the air talent up. How did you do? What, what was the music? Did you start making some immediate music changes once you got in? Yeah, I think we, you had we, to. We rocked our asses off. <laughs> it was as simple as that. 
And, I remember hearing the Bee Gees on KLOS once or twice. Well, that was in the and phase that, that when they were to trying to do things to for all people, and you have to kind of find a niche. At what point did that? Uh, uh, right around this time was when uh, Steve Dahl had the disco burning uh, in Chicago, it was right? Seventy nine. Seventy nine. So that had that to be was, on your radar. Yes, and just it, before uh-huh. I got here because I got here in April of uh, nineteen eighty. Yeah. Okay. So just to just to talk a little bit more bit more about talent, we had uh, Linda McGinnis, who we brought up from KGB FM, who she was, was great, fabulous talent. Wow. Uh, we eventually the next year hired Steve Downs because K West we pushed out of the format because we ended up with a four seven. The first year. Wow. Wow. So we more than doubled, and we beat KMET. So it was like everyone was the on first year. Wow. the moon in terms of what we were able to achieve. And then we started getting some really you know, good people in through the front door. We hired Steve, who's a legend. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's... Mr. Halo, also. Yes. You know, he's from, Master Chef on Halo. He is Master Chef. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I didn't know. Oh, cool. Not, not Master Chef, Master Chief. Master yeah. Chief on Halo. But he's also a Master Chef. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'd Wonderful. forgotten that he was on K-West, too. Yeah. He was he a was the, too. He was the program director. Oh. oh yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. I didn't know that. So, when you look back, assemble a great team which we did, and also just be open to interesting ideas. So one of the first things that happened with the Rainbow Logo was, and I don't want to give anybody any credit for anything. Whoever came up with these things, we were a team. We came up with some good ideas. And somebody said, let's not put KLOS in there, because everybody recognized the logo. We knew everybody recognized that Rainbow, right. or the racetrack, we also right. called it. the Rainbow it. Racetrack. Rainbow Racetrack. So we said, whenever there's a concert... Screw it that every single concert is KMETs. Every single freaking concert was KMET. They had the yep. contacts. They had the record companies. I mean, Ruth Pinedo was my music director yep. in the beginning, and she did have the record companies wrapped around her little finger. God bless her. <laughs> but they still had to deal with KMET because right. it was like they were on there. You know. But eventually, when we made the transition to be at least very close to them and beat them a little bit... Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an opening to do some stuff. So we decided to just put the name of the band inside the logo and just hand them out at concerts. Because the people who are going to the concert love the, love the band. That's why they're there. They don't care who the hell it has the presented by in reality. No, it was just, right. what's the association? So that started a whole thing. And T-shirts that would also yep. so we never used the KLOS on the inside for a long for a long long time because people didn't really think the call letters were really all that worth it wow. you know in, 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 in those days I remember an outdoor campaign seeing this I, I must have been 12 13 14 years old and at one point there was just a background the rainbow racetrack and nothing inside it <laughs> nothing and that when you think about it is such an insanely gigantic balls move yeah. like it who says does that? Yeah. and who We're does here. that um, some uh, an entity that is cocksure about their yeah. identity yeah. the the other interesting thing about that era too is that kmet was famous for people putting their bumper stickers upside down right right and so people started putting the band ones upside down. And we were like, whoa, we're really starting to get some traction now. People are realizing what's going Especially on. Especially when you would pay for parking at concerts, too. Well, now, that that's was, a great one. That was the other famous one, was, was with The Who. They, they were doing the sports arena. And, of course— Wasn't it the Coliseum? 82? Oh, um, 
The who with the Clash opening? Oh yes, 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 yes. yes you're right. Coliseum. Coliseum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coliseum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good. And thank you for saving me. <laughs> One of my best hires ever, Ms. Wild here, who knows everything, never forgets a thing. Oh, I, I love you so much. So what is anyway, this? So, much? so um, this is my mentor. We, <laughs> we have a mutual admiration society going here on the side. Anyway, uh, yeah, the the idea was once again, it was a huge KMET show. They had signage. They had people there. Oh, by the way, Simon T, I believe, or Gaspar, or somebody said, I, you know, I know the people at the parking lot. It's Whoa. public parking. Why don't we just go to them and say, we'll pay for every single parking space. <laughs> every single parking space. So each person that came in got their sticker and a little thank you from, from the, the volunteers that were there handing stuff out. Do they still have volunteers these yes. days? Oh, they well, do. Okay. I, mean, I think they're uh, Yeah, Rock yeah. Patrol. Yeah, we oh, sure do. Patrol. Okay, which is We did it at a California Jam, handed out Foo Fighters. Bumping yeah. stickers. Great. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Yeah. But everybody was like, yeah, thank you very much for presenting the concert, KLOS. This is really great. <laughs> drove in. It's like, you know, you, that that stuff comes out of just inspiration. And it's the, you know, it's the brain trust that comes up with these things. So. It's a true radio guerrilla warfare. Yeah. But, it's in the streets. But, yes. But, but that was a huge huge uh factor in in everything starting to tilt even a little bit more because i mean kmt was pissed off (laughs) they were so uh, i don't know what kind of legal action they took or if they took legal action or just like how did you guys do this but i think war was declared if it wasn't already did it ramp up i I was like yeah what happened let's put it this way we were never able to buy the parking again (laughs) they were able to circumvent that and make Uh, sure that the parking whoever ran it was was not allowed to do that again it's like hey man it was when the doors played uh, ed sullivan they said you'll never be on this show you'll never play ed sullivan Hey man, we just played just Ed Sullivan. Did. Okay, <laughs> See, the effect has already happened. Take that, right? Exactly. Can you imagine if you wanted to p- p- buy everybody's parking today at any oh show. God. I mean, what's it? it's twenty twenty five bucks <laughs> to I park think at, at the ELO form. it was forty forty five. Oh right. God. So yeah. times like, how many oh, yeah. spots? I mean, yeah. that's your budget yeah. for the year. Yeah. 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 No kidding. Exactly. No kidding. Wow. Exactly. But that means to be to go to the show with an extra five bucks for. I don't know malt liquor or a T-shirt or something like that. That's a cool thing. You're, that's you, five that's beers. That's you got more. You're going to a show expecting to pay all this money. Now yeah. you got some extra bucks thanks to KLOS. That just reverberates. Now, did you have the Who sticker that you were passing out at the show? Yes. Oh, for God, sure. that's wow. great. For sure. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. you know, it's it, it's those things, and we had the wherewithal. That's one of the nice things about uh, being with uh, a part of the ABC group at that time. They had TV. They had radio, and. Those were the days when radio stations spent a lot of money to make a lot of money. It right. was part of the process. It wasn't a matter of just trying to economize by saving costs. It was a different mentality. And it was a real show-busy type vibe here, even though we mm-hmm. were just radio. And, you know, that's one of the things I had to learn about coming to Los Angeles. In most cities, TV, at least in the 80s, TV was number one, and then radio would be a strong number two. Here... Mm-hmm. AM, movies are AM number. was actually second. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. yes. That's right. Oh. Rita, very good point. Because yeah. we were always in the shadow of KBC. My God. Really? Oh, oh my, my God. God. You would not believe oh, the my attitude. God. Well, those kids on FM are doing it again, aren't they? <laughs> that was that was the attitude. Yeah. yeah. And you know? Not just here, but a lot of other stations. I was going to ask you, besides KMET, who else would you consider your competition, even Sister Station and other stations around, and why? You know, honestly, I, I, we were so focused. Well, we had K-West and KMET in our sites in the beginning, but then it was just KMET. And we wanted to be sure that we weren't doing anything to turn people off. When you had talent like 
Paraquat Kelly, you know, who became a legendary name in the market. Just having the name Paraquat was yeah. fabulous. <laughs> Just what a great idea to even do that. Mary Turner, as I mentioned, some of these other people, Jeff Gonser, the people that were part of that team were excellent communicators. They were really, they were, they were so, I hate to say the words hip because, of course, Frazier was doing too hip to kind of fight that at <laughs> right. the same time. Uh-huh. But they had it, and it was hard to get to that point. So, yeah, of course, there were AM stations. There were other stations. Look, KZY was around yeah. in, in, in those days. Mellow Rock, did you share any audience with 93, KNX FM at the time? They were doing kind of a different thing. A little bit, but not a lot. Because they were really soft. Yeah. Man. But you in know. Orange County, KZY, I was, yeah. that's, yes. you know, that's right. Very, very. The AM station was like, uh-huh. yeah, it was like, you know, playing Ted Nugent, the GM's son said, hey, I'm in, I want to hear that uh, one from uh, Ted Nugent, that live one where he goes, fuck! <laughs> And it's like, oh, great. That oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Anybody wants to get mellow in here, you know, turn around and get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know. And KNAC was another Yoga, one. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. KNAC was, I think, rock and rhythm at that time or something. Richard Blade, I know, mm-hmm. was there. Yes. But, and, and K-Rock. We, you know, oh, I mean, and, we and can't that was, forget about that because although that music was not really where we were in those days, uh, that was a whole scene that was going on that was very vibrant, very important in L.A. at the time. Yeah. And I had come from those progressive roots because my original station, WBCN, was very much like the K-Rock of Boston. So it, it kind of was an interesting analogy. How did you know kind of where to draw that line? Like, okay, we're not going to play Devo or we're not going to or, or, or maybe you did, but I don't remember that. Yeah, that's my like, question. I, because it was all coming up like we were talking about the Us Festival. You know, uh-huh. there's the New Wave yeah. Day, the Heavy Metal Day and the Rock Day. How did you straddle that? Was there temptation to go maybe too far to the left or right? Or, or how did how did you work that at the time? Be, because, as I mentioned before, what had happened before, which was the experiment to broaden what KLOS was doing, yeah. and it went too far. Mm-hmm. We were very cautious to not want to do that. And KMET stayed right in their lane. They were one hard, rocking radio station. I would say until about 1983, 84, then they started going K-metal. You remember that? <laughs> yes. KMET, and they, I think they started rocking too hard. And, and then by that time, I think K-West had been gone. Yeah. And by that time, K-West the new was music, gone in 81. Okay. Yeah. And, and the new music They went top K-Rock, 40. Right. Yeah, oh, was, you know, was, was really... Starting to do do damage, you know, with the, the charts and and gain leverage. But I, I think I got here in '83. Thank you very yes, much it was for hiring me. 1983, exactly. That's the, uh, I think it was. January 20th. I think it was. Oh, talk about the US Festival too. Yes. That was in '83. That we yes. were just bringing that up. You're talking about concerts yeah. and yeah, and I mean, censorship was, and all the other stuff. That well, was. you know, that was what uh, Steve Wozniak and uh, yes, Apple computers, yeah, Apple computers, and they they, they had the money. Bill uh, Bill Graham was the promoter who uh, organized that that. And uh, that was the first in a series of festivals. I, I really was into doing remotes, getting people out, uh, whether it was a matter of doing a live broadcast of an event. If we, if we were involved with it, great. If we weren't, we'd just be outside talking about it. And that was the whole type of association that we wanted to get from the, from the team. So very, very important to be part of those because they were social events. They were really something. And, and, and KLOS has always had a history of being a part of the local community and what's going on. And you know what? If it was a band that we didn't play, we dealt with it as a news event and as, a, as, a, as an event that people would still relate to, but we didn't necessarily have to play a song by them 
to exemplify what we were talking about about them, yeah. if, if you catch my point. Like you were be out there a New Wave Day broadcasting with all the bands, and most of which maybe you didn't play, but you're still owning the event as it was. Yeah. Exactly, and we probably, I don't remember exactly, but I'm assuming that we probably played some uh, recordings that we had done with other bands that you know previous day or next day or, or whatever in, in advance to, to just get that stuff going. But I love to do that type of stuff you on were, the air. You were amazing. I mean, Gary told the story last time about how he drove into town from uh, St. Louis and he heard the uh, broadcast from the Coliseum, Bruce Springsteen. And, you know, we had, like, I think Gina was out there, Gil Murphy was out there. Uh, I think I went over there later. Uh, you know, it Press was just, box, out in the parking lot, yeah. back at the station, up in the helicopter. It's 5 o'clock on a Friday, (laughs) the last Friday of September. I'll never forget it. I'm right by City Hall, and I'm listening to all this going on. I said, that's the station. I'm going to be, that's how you do it, right? It was a huge, it was a huge event, and KLOS was huge in doing it as well. It sounded like a major market rock radio station, which KLOS has always been. Covering it from like three or four different vantage points. At least, yeah. 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 We we did have the ability and and the largesse of being able to to mount that type of of a thing. I, I remember uh-huh. even just like when we would do Frasier from doing a, a blimp, we did his morning show, you know, from the Goodyear <laughs> blimp floating around or whatever. <laughs> or we took the team to uh, Germany to yeah. the uh, to the Rocktoberfest. With Scorpions. We, you know, that's the Oktoberfest, but we, of course, we named it the Rocktoberfest. <laughs> and uh, drank a lot of beer and had a lot of fun. So, but, uh, you know, it was nice being part, part of it. Bill Summers was, as I say, willing to do stuff to have the impact. And that, that's another thing, too, that, you know, I, I gave you a lot of credit, but I think really a lot of credit goes to Bill Summers, too, because you left 85, and Bill kind of like stayed through and, you know, built that solid or built on the solid core stuff, the staff that you had already had, and built on it more. And then, and also, you know, being the one to say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to sell out to that. No, it doesn't fit the radio station. I have to tell you that that is one of the great things that I remember in the relationship with general manager and sales people that would understand that, no, we just really can't go there. Let's find another way to do it. Mm-hmm. And we were really good at finding other ways to do stuff because you don't want to turn down money, obviously. We're, this is a profit-driven business. We're not crazy. Uh, but we but we really would be able to, to draw the line. And, and he, he really was very, very, very supportive. And we continued on consulting a, a little bit after right. that as well, uh, as you know. And uh, so it was nice being able to just sort of still have the relationship even though it wasn't a, a day-to-day. Although there's nothing like being a program director. You know, when, when you're a program director, you wake up in the middle of the night and have a good idea, can be on the air the next morning. If you're a consultant, you can go in with that good idea and talk to the PD and try to cajole them and convince them, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Well, that's that's the nature of the beast. You know, you just kind of do it, what you can do. But uh, being a, TD, uh, a PD is a, is a very, very uh, wonderful thing, especially since radio doesn't, have the big turnaround time that uh, if you were doing something on TV or doing something, uh, you know, in, in the motion picture industry, it takes so long to do any sort of a change in radio. <laughs> yeah, it's instant, especially these Next days, day. you know, with the, the technology and so oh forth. Oh my God, it's changed uh, so much. I want to talk a little bit about some of the uh, the personalities like Fraser Smith. Uh, he had, uh, you guys had the TV commercial, you had the movie and some of the other things. What? Uh, Fraser had a movie? He had a movie, actually. Yes. Yeah. I, I remember him 
uh, and Al Ramirez, who you yes. remember was uh, his was his mm-hmm. uh, sort of cohort. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, w- once again, I can't take any credit for him because I inherited him from the station. He'd, you, he'd already been here, yeah. but I kind of helped him, I think, get a sense as to what good radio needed to be done. You know, he's so creative. I mean, he's still doing stuff for you guys, yeah, so you yeah. know what an amazing brain he has. And sometimes the the problem is just to get a little bit more focus because, you know, people that are listening to the radio aren't sitting there staring at the speaker. It's one thing you yeah, got to remember. They, they're doing other things. You know, the the kid starts wailing or the telephone rings or the, you know, something comes up or you, you get a text and all of a sudden you're not listening anymore. So you kind of have to deal with some repetition. You have to deal with factors about, you know, keeping a focus on starting at one point getting to the end yeah. and finding a good way to get there resetting but, and all that yeah, 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 I'm, yeah i'm dying to know because you like you were there for frazier's like flamethrowing like he did a lot of crazy oh, stuff God, yes. and got in a lot of crazy trouble and he must have bra- drag- dragged you into some of that trouble too and you've got at least one or two like pinnacle stories <laughs> well, i want to hear them. i don't I, I don't know if i have a, a, a specific thing that i can relate to but i can only tell you that yes he got us into trouble over and over and over again and part of that that's good because it that helps build the reputation of yeah. what the station's all Publicity about. you can't buy. Yeah. Uh-huh. It is. It's the word of mouth that people say, did you hear what Frazier did yesterday? And it kind of stabilizes, like, hey, KLOS has a personality now, too. Yes. You know, it's like, you know, with, with uh, KMET, they had all these personalities. Now KLOS has, you know, a strong morning man going into the rest of the day leading up to it. Exactly. Or when uh, Frazier would do the... Um, you know, he uh, every year he would do the um, Rose Bowl oh, the parade. Rose Bowl. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so uh, he would, you know, do like a play-by-play uh, of whatever was going on. And, of course, he would decimate these poor people who were, you know, <laughs> uh, trying to put their, you know, face forward and do their public service. And, of course, we get so many complaints the day after. Oh, my God, January 2nd was like a disaster <laughs> really? Don't oh, answer my. the phone for like no, three days. It was terrible. I remember remember was it nell benton i'm thinking nell kane nell kane yeah, yes, excuse me yes. nell kane fabulous person was sort of the public affairs yes, person yes and she would have to field all, all these calls <laughs> and try to talk these people you know off the roof uh, yeah and uh, as long as they didn't get to bill i would just say nell just handle it because i don't want it to yeah. get to bill <laughs> i do not want it to get but to what bill. about the tank was it on yeah. wilshire boulevard what was that? yes of course well yes he, he i mean Whatever idea he would come up with, we didn't want to hold him back. Why he needed a tank, I don't really, I'm, I'm not really even sure why it was, but he thought it would why be not? a great idea. He did a couple of shows about it that involved a tank. Because every morning with that guy, he would tell a story. You know, he would, he would write what would amount to, like, a play. And he would play all the roles. I mean, we had a couple of other features that he would do during the show, but basically, every break, he would just come back after a song, and he'd just get to the next episode. People would, characters would play with him, and that's where the guy's head was yes. going. You know, it, it was, still does. It yeah. was very engaging radio, I have to say. Um, and the tank did it. not do well on the surface of the street, by the way, which became a lot of traction, which heard, became an issue. I heard there were like some issues with, uh, you know, lights and parking meters or something like that. Probably. Public, the public works department uh, was not happy with. <laughs> to get us. to know them, <laughs> <laughs> Nell, could you just nail this first, please? Uh, another mainstay that uh, was a part of KLOS was Rockline, 
And that that started while you were here. And the original host was V. Mitchell Reed, mm-hmm. who was this you know top forty guy who had been at KMT and then came over to KLOS. And a that wonderful, was, wonderful gentleman who had the most amazing pipes mm. in radio. If none of you have ever heard him, try what? to find. He something. was a top forty DJ. He was too. a top forty DJ yeah. before for sure, for yeah. sure. And then he went to KMT, had a great career there, and then he got hired by KLOS, and. Um, he did the show. Um, a guy by the name of Eddie Kritzer was the one that actually came up with the concept of the show. And uh, as you guys were talking about in episode one here of the podcast, uh, History, it's such a freaking basic, simple idea. Oh, I can talk to a rock star. Mm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So we were like, yeah, let's do it. So we agreed to be the originating station. So everything originated here. It, it was not here. It was at a studio that they did. Mm-hmm that they had the origination at. <clears throat> but the lucky part for us was that we had the opportunity to have access to all of this talent that was coming in. And, of course, uh, w- whether it was Beamer or whether it was uh, Bob that was doing the show, uh, that was a wonderful relationship to have because uh, that stuff led to a lot of the – look, it was a slow reversal, but people got to know that they could come here. They w- We would treat them well. They still felt they had to spend some time at KMET because, you know, of the history that went on with the station. But we slowly got on the good side of the record companies and the, and the uh, you know. Was it originally conceived X. as, uh, you know, as syndicated? Like yes. Like it's going to go, yeah. Yes. Right? So the, the ABC rock stations took it mm. initially. And it then was syndicated to other stations. So if there was not Outside an ABC station in the market, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. But it was handled by ABC. Uh, so I know let B. Mitchell Reed, I think at the start of that was, I believe, 83. He had gotten ill. Yes. And uh, and then he, I guess he kind of wanted Bob to do it. And Bob was just such a perfect choice. Perfect choice. Because yeah. his, his knowledge of, of music oh. uh, was amazing. God rest his soul. And uh, he also was such a gentleman. Perfect temperament. For yes. That kind of a yeah. thing. You're so right, because there wasn't anybody who couldn't relate to him as an act. He wouldn't drool over them. He'd sometimes ask the questions that we wanted to hear the answers to, that everybody was like, okay, well, if I can ask the question, yeah. oops. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, get it, get it done, and he would do it. He would do it. But in the most genteel way imaginable. And no one ever walked out of that studio. No one ever got pissed off at him for anything that he ever asked. But he was very straightforward about it, too. And as I said before, his history, his knowledge yeah. of the music was just so incredible. And that's and that's a thing about music. People like to whatever genre it is, because you know in country music they've done this this fan fest, right. fanfare all all these years yeah. down in Nashville. We actually get to go up, we could go up and and meet Garth Brooks, or you could meet somebody and get your album signed for years upon years upon years. And this was like another way to connect with people, you know, your 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 idols in music. You may be able to shake hands with them, but you can talk to them on the phone. I just thought that was like, and it still is, such a cool idea to do. I, I wish it was still around. Well, we got all the archives, and I believe our next podcast is going to be on Rockline. So we've got the oh, producers fantastic. coming in here and stuff like that, oh, which, will be, which will be wonderful. Yeah, uh, Another thing that separated KLOS from everybody else was uh, its heart and, uh, and the listeners. <sighs> Man, we're amazing. The KLOS Blood Drive. Tell us about that. Well, once again, that was something that uh, came from Nell and and that department. Um, We were looking for something that we could do on a regular basis because I I love the concept of doing something annually because it's something you can build on. 
and then once it gets started, sometimes it's hard to get started the first year or two, but then after that it seems to take off. And uh, who would have an argument with dealing with the American Red Cross? I mean, it's like the perfect connection. And uh, I believe that even from the very beginning, we were doing, you know, the exchange where you'd either get a a concert ticket, voucher type thing, or a T-shirt or something in exchange for uh, the uh, blood. And I know that over the years, it's just gone crazy because you've got now multiple locations and uh, so many thousands of pints of blood have been accumulated. uh, When it was was a brand new idea, was it done? Where was it done? At the station? It was just one. I, I don't believe it was done at the station property itself over in La Cienega. But it was a high school, I think. Yes, yes. It was was at a local high school that said that, once again, Nell had arranged it for us. (laughs) And hired nurses probably to volunteer nurses. Exactly. So it was just one location. And, you know, it was basically... One day. One day, one location. And it was basically the jocks and whoever they could convince to come down <laughs> to give their blood at the same time. What year, what year was that? It would have been like 82, 82 I, I think. think yeah. Was, yeah, I'm thinking wow. 82. Yeah. 81 or 82. Yeah. Uh-huh. Us, yeah. yeah. But that, that's amazing to know that that still continues on. And that also led into other things. I mean, uh, we've known... You know, so many we've been known for so many uh, wonderful fundraisers and drives. But one of the first I remember that you organized was Rock Relief for Africa. Yes, and uh, you know the the association with those types of events went on even after I had left and had become a consultant. Uh, we were able to uh, participate in them. Uh, we had the relationship going with the ABC radio networks because we continued to consult TV. the network. Uh, and so with the TV connection and with the radio connection, we were able to uh, host some of the shows. I, I remember we had some wonderful times, whether it was in New York or Philly or in, uh, in London. Uh, and, and those sorts of events have sort of grown into a mystique of their own, haven't they? Because uh, yeah. uh, people are always saying, well, they'll never be repeated. And then someone will come up with another one, you know, <laughs> so, right. and, and they'll sort of top it. But it's, it's a natural. The performers... I mean, I don't want to say that the rock genre is so unique. I'm sure that all performers are equally deserve equal credit. But most performers are very willing to give of their time. And none of those people got paid to perform ever at those shows. I mean, they, they were expensed to the extent of getting us there mm-hmm. and we need equipment. But other than that, not a penny. Mm-hmm. Everything went to the charities. And... Um, People were just willing to do it. There wasn't—I don't think there was anybody that really ever said no whenever they were asked to be part of them. And it's a wonderful feeling to think that these events of somebody like a Geldof or somebody who is willing to go on their line and just say, "Listen, can you do this? Can you do it? Can you do it?" And uh, the other amazing thing is when you'd have situations where people that hadn't performed together for a while right. would agree to actually play again together, and it would be a big. We're uh, coming up against the clock, but I want to talk on a couple of other different things. You were involved with Live Aid also. Yes, yes. Uh, How do you feel about, uh, well, since it's in the news, uh, the Queen documentary, uh, Queen on stage there, what was that like? Hey, uh, once again, incredible moments. Uh, Strangely, I wasn't at the scene. I was watching it on a monitor in New York 
because we were doing it. You were doing the, the that broadcast. Way. The I was doing play. the broadcast play by play. So I wasn't actually at the scene itself. But uh, I can just tell you that, uh, that there are certain moments when it's magical and something happens. And, you know, it's, it's, it's inescapable that it shows you the power of music. We, we're, we're happy to be radio broadcasters and we're glad to do what we do. Whoever's talking, whoever's relating in terms of content, wonderful. But it's the music that people really feel strongly about and really have the bond with. And, uh, you know, there's something unique about it. So, yeah, something like that. Amazing that the movie, by the way, yeah. the movie's incredible. Yeah, Remy Malik. Oh, my God. Amazing performance. Uh, we have time for, like, a few more. I just got to throw this out there. Uh, you had a special barber in Boston. <laughs> How can you bring that up? <laughs> I have to. How is that important? Yes, I, I did have a favorite barber, and I would go back to get my hair cut. Now, let me just say to you that... You flew to Boston when you needed a haircut? Well... Yeah, he's so trend, such a trendsetter. You know? <laughs> Dude, that's that's, that's a really an LA thing to do. That's so rocks. LA. That's now, a big now, power move. Wait, wait. First of all, I remember that because I had hair then. And of course, this is a, this isn't on video, but if anyone sees a picture of me now, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's no hair up there now, so I wanted to be very protective of it. But number two was just that I have a lot of friends and relatives there, so it was always it was a great excuse, yeah. to, excuse. To, to go back. Yeah. So. But who was it? Well, originally, yeah. uh, it was a fellow that actually was a, a rock musician. Is that right now? Yes, and you we may... probably played him here on KLOS. Billy something. Billy. Squire? Oh yeah, Billy Squire. Get out of here, Billy Squire was your hairdresser. <laughs> well, let me, let me let me tell you what what happened is that he he actually did the hair for a lot of people at at WBCN because he was he was involved with one of the DJs that was there, Max Ansartori. Okay. So they were a bit of an item, and, and that's what happened. Now that that only happened a couple times. I I did not go to him over and over and over again, <laughs> but I did great. get my haircut by him better. at least once. Okay, yeah. Wow. You know what? Let's do revisionist history and say that it was him every time. Yeah, it every sounds time. it sounds much more impressive that way. Were you at BCN when Peter Wolf was there? Of course, yes. Oh. Lead singer Jay Giles band Peter he Wolf did, was he a did DJ. Overnights. He did overnights. Wow. Oh my God! Yes, and it, listening to what he was doing on the air in those days, I just saw him because uh, I was back at a Christmas party, and, and he's still—you know—he's still out performing. The guy yeah. is amazing. He's he in is. great shape. I'm a huge, yeah. he huge Jay Giles fan. Yeah. And oh, by the way, well. today is Jay Giles' birthday. That we're recording this. Believe it oh, or not. Is it oh, really? Is Jay Giles' <laughs> of course, you know that. Today. Only you would know. <laughs> that. I'm, I'm sorry. You know I that. love wow. Bloodshot. I loved all, yeah. the, like Faye Dunaway. That whole uh, thing that he had going on with her. I, mean, I was a huge <laughs> fan. Huge. I had to ask that. I had to. That's one of the one of the great. Bostonians, yeah. you know. That's great stuff. And, That's and, cool. and WBCN just had their 50th anniversary. They're not on the air anymore, but you guys no. uh, congregated last year. and Yes, yes. And a film is uh, has been made, a documentary, that uh, will be at a couple of film festivals uh, this year. And then I guess hopefully it may have some theatrical release. But they, they're hoping it will eventually show up like on PBS or something. See, so. this is the cool thing. This, this is thanks to you. You're one of the people that has, has kept – KLOS rocking, and and you were responsible for where we are today, the the paths that that you helped blaze, yeah. uh, that have kept us here and, and rocking. Whereas other radio stations, and we were just talking about this before we came on, you can count on one hand how many still are after fifty years, Philly and St. Louis and some other places like that. So I'm eternally grateful Gary, to you, you. You are so right because when when I think about some of the stations that existed and don't exist anymore it's it's very sad it's most of them it's like like KMET I mean that was the big nemesis yes and you then, know for this station and to have them go out of the format I mean you know a lot of just, good people a lot of talent a lot of great stations 
we were able to save a few of them. Remember, we got Jim Ladd to come back after yeah. Uh, yeah. after they went down. <laughs> but l- let me just say that uh, in uh, as sort of a closer here, because what you brought up, I wanted to mention, which is a, this is one of my proudest things is that the station is still rocking. Yeah. Thank you, KLOS, for still rocking. Thank you for everybody listening. Yeah. Yeah. We couldn't, you know, if we don't have any audience... You know, yeah. we speak. That's true. Well, it shows that you're doing something that people want to hear. So, And thank you, Tommy Hadges, uh, our special guest again today. Uh, I owe this man so much. Uh, he hired me here. He always challenged me. Uh, if I did something wrong, he would, you know, let me know. And if he didn't, Bill Summers would let me know. Because <laughs> Bill had that way. But uh, I just want to say it was uh, just an amazing time. You were the best boss I ever worked for. And uh, thank you so much for coming in here and, and setting these stories right about what is what and how we all did this and the magic. My, my distinct pleasure. Yeah. So, Tommy Hedges, uh, you're retired. You, so yes. you don't have anything to plug. Actually, yes. you're a station owner. Age, age 70. Decided to retire once. Once I hit my seventieth birthday, I said, oh, "Time are, to." Are you a golfer? Time to hang it up. I'm not a golfer. Oh, no. Not? Oh, okay. no, no, he's world traveler. He's got how many bonus miles? Do oh, you have I'd, I'd rather not talk about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, because he did uh, consulting in uh, Ireland and wow. France and South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand. Thanks all for all the fun. Stuff. Thanks for setting us up. To this Pleasure. day, really, really fun to, to yeah. see you all. Thank so, you so much. Thanks real, for asking me to participate. Thank you so yeah. much, Tommy. Hedges. Real honor. Thank you, Gary Moore. Thank you, Stu Herrera. Naturally. I read a wild. And for next time, uh, I think it's going to be Rockline. And Excellent. Then, and some more stuff on KLOS 15 Reverse Podcast.